This episode of the Buffalonian Podcast is brought to you by the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built with and for entrepreneurs. We cover many genres, including sports, business, mental health, marketing, and entertainment. Featuring podcasts such as Sports Bring People Together, Limitless, Saviors of the Metaverse, and The Athletic Mindset. Learn more at castsource.com slash podcast. Now, without further ado, let's get into the Buffalonian Podcast. The Buffalo Bills have finally come back to win a one-score game, and the Buffalo Sabres are moving quickly towards the beginning of their season. We'll be talking rundown, some would-you-rather, hot takes, trivia, and more. This is the Buffalonian Podcast. All right, let's go. We are back with the Buffalonian Podcast. I'm Joe Callie, and as always, I'm joined by Dom Loss and Mike Marino. We're all back in the I studio. Know, I don't know about as always. You know. As always, quote-unquote. It's becoming a rare occasion now. Yeah, maybe. And, you know, I, we were out for a week because I had to go to the ER for appendicitis. So, you know, it was wonderful. Bill's game earlier in the week and then ER later in the week. You can't ask for anything better than that. So Glad you're okay, big guy. Well, thanks. And I'm glad we're all three able to be here today. We're back better than ever in the Bill's. We gotta just we gotta we gotta look back on a couple weeks here. We we didn't get to cover the Miami game. That disappointment. That disappointment, and all of a sudden the Dolphins fans are taking over social media, saying they the East runs through them, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't know what were your thoughts after we just like at, like game ends. Isaiah McKenzie doesn't run out of bounds and we lose the clock. Like what what are your thoughts? I think it was just frustration. Because yeah. I thought the Bills, I hucked my phone across the room. I thought the Bills in played, pain. you know, with all their injuries, played a really good game, and I thought they had more than enough opportunities to win the game, and they didn't execute in big moments, and that's the reason why obviously they have a loss on their schedule. Yeah, no, I mean, I think just overall having a secondary that was made up of mostly backups didn't help. It feeling like a hundred degrees and being as humid as it was that didn't help. And, you know, it was just unfortunate, little mistakes that we made. I mean, you can't be perfect at every second of the season. So, you know, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the New England game last year when we lost to them. And everyone was like, oh, the Patriots, they're coming back. It's going to be them again. And, you know, we shut them up pretty quick in the next game and then in the playoffs. So, I mean, I feel the same way about the Dolphins right now. Yeah, I don't think it's any concern that they lost, it's more, I don't want to say fluky because you do got to give Miami credit they made the plays, but right. it, it's more of a, it's more of a, the weather was a little, and the injuries, I think had a lot to do with it, but also the Bills just shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how you can excuse having the ball for 40 minutes on offense and your quarterback throwing 400 yards and not making the plays, you know what I mean? It's just, there were, granted, like you said, the weather, that was also a factor, I mean, what almost 100 degrees and humid in Miami that's mm-hmm. absolutely nuts and the Miami Dolphins have it set up so the away teams in the sun for the entire game yeah which is kind of it's pretty smart it's yeah, a good I mean tactic. like yeah. it's, you use your home field advantage really you have one then i mean but i i, I you know i i tweeted out i remember i was like i don't want to hear any Miami fans saying that you fronts to them we'll see in week 15 when you try and play in snow and you're going to look like toddlers running around on a snow day so you know, I mean, that's just that's that's how I think it's going to go. I, I'm not worried about it at all. The Bills got that game in Miami out of the way. 
Um, it's it's a tough loss. It's a tough place to play in general. It's a tough place mm-hmm. to play. I think it's a frustration on the fact of the Bills' inability to run the ball very effectively that game. The fact that Josh threw the ball 63 times for 400 yards. 400 yards, 400 yards, but when he throws 63 times, it's really not nearly as impressive. Yeah. And I think it's just a frustration, you know, if we take account of the Ravens game of the lack of a consistent run game outside of Josh, plus really the injuries of the wide receivers has really hurt the Bills' vertical passing game. Right. I read a stat where nine of the last 137 passes for Josh Allen have traveled 20-plus yards. That's 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 a small amount of – that's mm-hmm. not a lot. Yeah. And you look at it as, you know, is this Gabe Davis being hobbled? Is it people are playing that two-shell look of the two high safeties? Is it Ken Dorsey? And, you know, you look at it and it's, you have to say the Bills uh, – you know, Warren Shop made a stat where it's the Bills only – face two high safeties like they're 21st in the league in that so it's really not like they're getting those looks that much it's you know i think it's somewhat personnel based not having great offensive line you know that takes time those routes to develop but not really having a deep that with gabe injured i think is is a little bit concerning and that's why that's why when you have the bills offense on the field for 90 plays they wore themselves out mm-hmm. because they didn't have they don't have that ability right now to stretch the field and get maybe a cheap 60 yard right send gave us down deep like they did in the chiefs game last year just straight just send them down you know but they're, they're really lacking that element of the offense right now so i mean it's definitely i'd rather get these injuries over within the beginning of the season and mm-hmm. have everyone healthy for the the tail end like the run really at that point you know i mean it's just kind of looking at it now as what what happens if this keeps happening throughout the season which is a little nerve-wracking you know i mean it's just kind of we still have digs right and he's been a huge playmaker this season more than last season at this point you know and you're missing davis who really showed up last year i mean he still has that foot injury dawson knox was out for a while too he's been kind of held to nothing and he was a big part of the past game too so i look at it as we need to get these guys healthy and we need someone other than Devin Singletary who can run the ball. They he they tried throwing Moss in there in that Ravens game too. Well, let's tra- let's start to back up. Let's transition to the Ravens game. Yeah. What well, what well, Mike? What were you feeling when it was twenty to three? So you know, um, I was kind of like, really like this is this is how it's gonna go. We're gonna just kind of shoot ourselves in the foot here. I know the pick on the first drive was, I I was like, wow, this is how the game's gonna go here. Yeah. So. I think it's been proven this year that we are more of a second half team. So I thought uh, that drive coming out of halftime was probably the most important drive of the game to see if we would set the tone. And thinking about it, Baltimore just um, two weeks before had blown it against Miami. And that was an even larger lead. But they've now blown two 17-point leads. But besides besides that, you know, I think Allen, I, I say this like, Last year, when we played the Bucks, he put that game on his back. Yeah, I think Allen kind of did the same thing, and Baltimore was like, "I'm not, we're not losing this game. No, we're not getting embarrassed here." Well, you know how I feel about Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens organization. Um, he did tweet out after the game. He said, "No, n- no issues or whatever." He said, "He said good game." You I know? just want to say both of his picks, like they weren't his fault. Like one was a deflection. No, and Jordan and the Porter other one, had Jordan a Porter just play. ran down. So no, the like, second pick was his fault. That was a terrible play. I mean, it was kind of a broken up play. Probably should have kicked he, it. He, he, but he, he, 
um, if you're an elite quarterback, you gotta. He was wide open. Like you gotta be able to see that and throw that touch. Two two people on that play were pretty open. Um, you gotta be able to. Our boy Prince Emili breaking up in yeah. the deflection and then yeah. getting cut from the practice squad. <laughs> That's I, that was bizarre. Cause I actually thought he played pretty well. Well, they signed but... Justin Zimmer instead. Yeah. That's bringing true. him back. I think there was a lot of hard feelings when I was twenty to three. A lot of people were complaining that the Bills were frauds, and for me, it was just. You know, just decompressing. You know, trying to like take my mind off the game and just kind of take a take a breath. And I think that's what the Bills did: is that they weathered the storm. They got that. You know, I, I felt honestly pretty confident when I was twenty to ten at halftime. I was like, I really believe in this. The coaching staff is going to make the adjustments. The defense really only gave up one really bad drive in the first half because uh, the first touchdown was at, like eight yards of offense because they had first and goal. So I felt pretty confident where the Bills were knowing what that coaching staff does to make adjustments and you know getting the three and out getting the field goal and then getting another quick stop touchdown and then obviously the big play on fourth down what do you guys think about the decision for Harbaugh Harbaugh to uh to roll the dice there I mean I understand it because you know if you score a touchdown that puts more pressure on us to have to score a touchdown rather than just getting the field goal range and kick it I just I I look at all the analysts and they're like oh you had to you had to make the kick like how do you not kick it there? But we've seen time and time again that Harbaugh is someone that likes to go for it on fourth and goal. Like I think last year they were playing Pittsburgh. Instead of kicking the extra point, they tried for two and mm-hmm. they missed it, so they lost. Like he likes to gamble, but I think at the same time, if they had scored a touchdown on fourth and goal, all the analysts would have been like, "Oh, that was such a great decision." Right? They that said, was like the best play of the game. Like, yeah, yeah, great. They would have liked right the there. aggressiveness and wanted more of that, but now because it didn't work out, they're. I think like, it make I think it makes sense to go for it because you have Lamar and they're so successful on fourth and two like and less eighty percent. Yeah, they're very successful on it. So mm-hmm. I think we just played it really well, limiting. Lamar being able to run out, forcing him back to throw off his back foot, which led to a pick. I mean, honestly, just looking at the game in general, it's the Bills in their season so far. They've allowed seven points in the second half. They're, like Dom said, a second-half team. Shut out in the third quarter. Yeah, complete shutout in the third quarter. So, I mean, Milano, definitely, like, those guys, like, the defense figured it out. Tremaine actually having an all-right year. I'm surprised, you know. All right. He wants that contract. Yeah, he wants wants it. And even Poyer, like, stepping up and all pro-po, he wants the the contract. And it's, like, it's really cool to see because these guys we were really questioning – like Tremaine, we were questioning hard all the all through the offseason. We were like, is this guy even going to get his contract? And I think if he continues this throughout the rest of the season, there's no way you can deny it, especially the the you know run defense. Like we we stopped him in the second half. You take away Lamar's run, it, he became a one dimensional. Just you know what I mean? Like it wasn't anything yeah. spectacular anymore. And that's how you beat Lamar, where you know he doesn't have that rocket arm like Allen does. He doesn't have that stuff. We took away his biggest strength because. He That's still what made we needed plays. to do. He he's, still made some plays, but I mean, we you took away what he does best, and we started coming back. Yeah, he's so. still an MVP level quarterback. Um, at the end of the day, like I, you know, you had to think of in that moment what what does your opponent want you to do? And I'll tell you, the Bills would want them to kick the field goal there because fourteen play drive, you just ate up eight minutes on the clock. They're tired. They're exhausted. What do, what does the opponent want you to do? The opponent wants you to kick the field goal, get Josh Allen out there, three point game. So. I respect it. I think a little bit of it was in fear of Allen, which I don't know if you want to be in fear of. But at the end of the day, like if the Bills are in a similar situation, I mean, putting the putting the ball in the hands of Josh Allen at the two yard line to get us two yards. I mean, we tried that last year with Tennessee. 
and this year, didn't we? A couple fourth downs. It was like fourth and two or whatever we went for. I think you got to be aggressive in this league. I think it's it's an aggressive league, and when you have two elite quarterbacks, I don't think you're going to win by hitting field goals. So I like it. I thought some people originally were complaining about the play call, about how he was in the shotgun and they didn't run the ball or try and get him moving. But at the end of the day, he had two wide, he had two open players on the play. Duvernay was open in the corner of the end zone, and the running back who got motioned out was if he would have hit him, you know, right off the bat, it would have been a walking touchdown. So. He, what happened was that he was looking dead at Mark Andrews, and they covered up his number one option, and then the really good pass rush by the Bills, and then Poirier was able to you know come back after kind of getting beaten early in the play. So it's a credit to the Bills' pass rush to help the coverage. You know, you work as a unit there. Pass rush and coverage help each other out. Sometimes you get you know covered sacks, and sometimes the pass rush pressure helps when the coverage breaks down. Yeah. So I thought it was a good decision for them to go for it. I thought this might have been Sean McDermott's best game as a head coach. Just yeah. the, the rally the troops, the game management, the, the aggressiveness. Yeah, just and all... having all the them kneeling at the end, you know, like right on the goal line and sending out Bass, like not trying to push it in for that extra touchdown. I thought that was... Yeah, shout out to the Ravens player who tackled Motor. Oh, way. Yeah, shout out to him because you could tell a lot of the, the Ravens guys were just going to let him score. Yeah, and he tackles him, and you can see Calais Campbell right after throw up his arms. Oh, Marcus yeah. Peters was and going off. Peters was going after Harbaugh on the sideline, but but, yeah. they, he, was but he was going down. Like I think he would have went down. I just think it's yeah. He's not Nick Chubb, where he's going to get greedy and score. It was funny though. <laughs> he doesn't like, want the fantasy points for himself. On the QB sneak with Allen to get to the one yard line on like the replay, you could see Calais Campbell try and like pull Allen into the end zone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad they didn't though. And Bass came out and did what he had to do. I mean the condi- I mean we talk about. You know, some of the misplays in the beginning, like we mentioned, you know, like that interception and a couple of fumbles, right? Mm-hmm. Two, I want to say. Was there two or was there only one? I believe there was only one, but there was a lot of drop passes. Yes, a lot of drop passes. I mean, it was it before the game, it was misty and then it actually started raining. So, I mean, the, the elements weren't exactly in everyone's favor, but it I wasn't going to be an offensive. No, it was going to be a defensive game. It was going to be kind of a little bit of a gritty game. And credit for the Bills, like good teams went on the road. Yeah, you had to win the road to be a good team, and it it was a solid win. You know, they, I think it was a statement. You had to come back out and sh- prove that you could do it. You know, and now everyone can shut up about how the Bills haven't won a one score game. You know what I mean? Like in the in the fourth quarter, they they actually buttoned it up and sealed the victory for themselves. So it was a, it was a solid win against a very good football team. I think the Ravens are a good team, and so winning it in their building is no easy feat especially trailing by 17 points when everything seems to be going your way to have the mental toughness to rebound from that and then we go back and forth about it like teams from bills teams from the past when would have just folded last time that happened was when ryan fitzpatrick rallied against the patriots in 2011 17 lot largest comeback in allen's career so you know, talking about the game, who do you think stepped up the most? Obviously, Allen's the obvious choice. He, I would definitely... He put, he put the burden of the offense on his shoulders. But who do you think maybe defensively stepped up? I would definitely say Matt Milano. I would say... He's my, he's my all-star already, defensive player. I already player. gave out my shout-out to Prince Emile for deflecting that pass. No, he. I think... Most random player on the team to make a big play to turn, <laughs> kind of turn the tide, honestly, get momentum really going in our way. And then Poyer with those two picks. Poyer was huge. I just think the defense... K- Kyrie Elam? 
Carolyn was locked yeah, down. targeted once the whole game. I I think it was a defensive team effort, but I think the two linebackers really stood out. Yeah, Milano made big plays. Edmonds was really solid. He snatched Lamar Jackson on that one play. That would have been a huge gain if he didn't grab him by the ankle. You know, but well, I think what's frustrating for me is we now at four games in the year. Obviously, it's not the biggest sample size of the world, but. We saw Brandon Bean last season go out, get Tim Settle, get Daquan Jones. Obviously, Jordan Phillips is banged up, but get these big guys, these stop, you know, big run stuffers, for the reason of to take up blocks, so it ha- allows your linebackers to play downhill unblocked, mm-hmm. so they don't have to be, you know, trying to shed three hundred pound linemen. You see it with Tremaine, how he's taking that step this year. Matt Milano playing, I think, you know, he's always been kind of an Pro Bowl linebacker, but I think he's playing like an all-pro, maybe the best linebacker in the first four weeks of the year. Those two guys are, you know, not being touched by these offensive linemen because you get Daquan Jones taking double teams, Tim Sell taking double teams. Obviously, when Phillips comes back, excited to see what Ed Oliver does as kind of a disruptor in the backfield. Yeah. Um, I think that's frustrating in this aspect of looking how important the defensive line has been for the coverage on that fourth-and-goal play the linebackers play. It's frustrating to me that year in and year out now we are talking about this Bills running game not getting going. And it's yeah. it's, it's listen, the running backs are, are, are below average. Singletary probably an average running back. He he hasn't been terrible. Singletary Co- should be a second string to an a, a above average first string. That's how it should. He be. should be in a two man committee. Moss is in it. He's he should be done. And James Cook is a rookie. Is and, a rookie and he's making some mistakes. Yeah. But the fact is, there is the offense line has continued to struggle with getting holes. The pass protection is still isn't great. I think it's frustrating that the Bills have invested so much in this defensive line with Von, and it's worked out for them. Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, AJ Vanessa. Getting those freedoms in the middle. But the lack of, like, going for the offensive line has been really... I mean, Saffold hasn't worked out. He's really struggled. Yeah. Morris is a little banged up, but Morris really isn't a run-blocking run center. And he's not a bad center, so I'm not going to crap on him Oh, and that that's one other thing I want to say about the Miami game. Van Rotten was really screwing the pooch on the snaps and stuff. If you look, it, no. was, it was bad. It's it was maybe, really bad. It's made me respect Morris, but it's also... I don't think it's a bad thing to be like, I would love for Morris to be a little bit more effective run blocking. Mm-hmm. But Spencer Brown, I guess, is a project we're going to have to see on him. Bates has also kind of struggled. So, like, when your interior offensive line is not very good r- run against the blocking, run. Mm-hmm. Brown's kind of hit and miss. Dion's a good left tackle. But, like, it's just struggling to me that they've put such an emphasis on the other side of the line of scrimmage that they haven't done the same thing on the other side and realize how... No, I don't think they haven't attempted, but I think having a good offensive line is better for your quarterback's health. It's better for your passing game to go deep. It's better for your running game. Yeah, I'm not I saying mean, go full blown Kansas no, City Chiefs and like no. sign like the best guard in Joe Tooney, trade for Orlando Brown, and draft Creed Humphrey. But, no, but like, you got to get someone who can open a hole for a running. But a little back. bit of that would have been kind of nice. I mean, it's just we we need that power runner to accompany Singletary's. Outside shifty runner, yeah. you know what I mean. We we Zach Moss is Josh not, Allen. yeah, yeah. Pretty much that's what we've got right now. But like a guy like Saquon Barkley, if we had him paired with Singletary, no. Saquon's more I, of similar I have to Singletary. Zero interest in Saquon. Barkley. He's more of elusive receiving back. But I mean, he's above average, and we only have average. That's kind of where the yeah, thought is now. I don't now. think upgrading. I don't think upgrading the running back position is is the way to go. I think I think that's 
the wrong. I think they have tried to think. I think they believe that the running back position was the problem, and I think they have to start realizing that it's not the problem. It's, you the, know, offensive it's the offensive line. Yeah. It's yeah. the lack of really people that can move. And again, they attempted with Saffold. Saffold's old. I don't think he's played particularly well. No, um, we should. We honestly first round pick next year. Let's just draft a big O line. No, they, they. I think they should. I think they need to get bigger up front. You know, Ryan Bates. Like you got Deion Dawkins, who's great. You need like four more Deions. They have a very athletic <laughs> offensive line for the most part, mm-hmm. but they don't have a very powerful offensive line. I think they need to like. No, get, you need to tank up there to open a hole. They need, yeah, you know, they need to get some guys. But I think you know, talk, talking about our concerns at the you know, about the quarter mark. I know it's kind of weird now, four games, seventeen game season, but. I think that would be my main concern is that the offensive line really is struggling and it's affecting. It's affecting both the passing game too because Josh had pressure on him too. Passing game and run game. Also, I think I think everyone's main thing is injuries. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. they're going to be listen. They're going to be able to sustain uh, defensively because all those guys are going to be coming back except obviously Hyde. So it's going to be interesting to see if. I'm glad Dane Jackson was in the game this past weekend. I will say that. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. That's no, really encouraging. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see if Demar Hamlin can lock down that other safety spot and play well. But I don't know. What What are your guys' concerns? Obviously, the wide receiver health is a concern as well. No, I know you you're bringing up like um, the offensive line is kind of the the stem of all of it. I think we've been at times too one dimensional trying to get the passing game. Like I think we need to turn to the run game. But, like, I know, obviously, it would be to no avail if the offensive line is struggling. So, I agree that, like, upgrades are going to have to be made um, because, like, truly, you have to be balanced in order to be successful. You can't just always throw. Like, if Josh Allen's consistently throwing it 40, 50 times a game, his arm's going to be shot. Like, it doesn't matter how big and strong you are. Like, he's going to be shot. And then if he's, like, your power runner, same thing. Like, you don't want your franchise quarterback taking those hits and all that. Um I, I know we were talking about, like, our depth at, like, wide receiver and how deep it was. I think that's getting tested right now because mm-hmm. Crowder's out indefinitely with an ankle. Kumaro's gone. Kumaro's hurt. D- Davis isn't completely healthy right now. So we're really relying. And then McKenzie, we don't know. He's in concussion protocol. Yeah, he might miss a few games. Oh, God. So right now we have Diggs and then Khalil Shakir. <laughs> so yeah. the two guys are fully healthy. Yeah. So And Davis will be out there, but how much he'll be doing is yeah. the question. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I think maybe you have to start exploring some options there. Um, obviously, the big one would be like, oh, Odell. But he's not even going to be healthy until no, yeah. later in the season. So, you Do know, you think it'd be worth it, though, in case some of these, like, what if, the end what if Crowder's season? really... I, yeah. I, if, if Crowder broke his ankle. Yeah. It's just, yeah, the most unfortunate saying, thing like, is that we have all these injuries at corner, so we sign Xavier Rhodes, and then he gets hurt in practice. Like, that's just mm-hmm. not that's what just we need. Really unfortunate. Yeah. But I don't know. I think the past few years, we've been very lucky with injuries. We've been relatively healthy. And this year, we're really getting tested to see how deep our roster really is. I mean, honestly, though, pulling off the win still is confidence for, for me. But I definitely would say. You know, my my concern along with, you know, what Dom was saying is that front offensive line and the way, you know, there's no run game. There's nothing that's able, there's nothing happening. And it's, you know, I was just enlightened because, you know, I was one of the people who always blamed it on the running backs, but Dom made a very good point. Like these, we don't have a tank up there who's opening the holes or blocking these big guys. Like it's, it's gotta be, we gotta have more depth up front on the offense instead of just the defense. And that's, that's a concern. 
at the quarter mark into the year, and you know, just it's gonna it's gonna be concerned at the end of the year because there's no real way to fix it other than those five guys have right. to get chemistry together. Well, and then you're watching teams like the Chiefs and how Patrick Mahomes is playing. He has all that time, you know, in their their run game. Edwards Alaire at an old age is still flying through, you know. The Chiefs this year, this last week against the Bucks front, who was a pretty good front, yeah, had 150 yards before contact. Yeah. Like that's a that's an insane number, and that's what you get with like you said the way they, now, they got their offensive now, line set up. Granted, they also have invested a lot in the offensive line, but that's kind of not exactly what the Bills need to do now. But it's definitely like they should try and you know bump theirs up let's, close to it, like not go that crazy, but do something. Let's just put it this way: they need to invest more than what they've done. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like the similar conversation about cornerback for the longest time with the Bills. Is that how long are you gonna continue to say you could have? average corner play like alongside Trey White until you actually have to improve to become good or, or, or borderline elite there. Yeah. The the offensive line has been average for years. This year it's been kind of below average. Um, it's funny. When we had a bad quarterback, the offensive line was better than it is now statistically. Well, you didn't have to pay the bad quarterback. Yeah. You know, it <laughs> does pay to have a good quarterback. And Josh is, you know, that's a, that's a thing where it's, is this Dorsey making it less long throws or is it because the offensive line, Josh is t- they're telling Josh, hey, get the ball out. Mm-hmm. Yak. I, mean, I guess that's the presence, like the importance of Yak. So, I mean, I, I believe in Ken Dorsey's ability and Josh Allen, Joe Brady to figure out the offensive minds and the team to figure out a way to get the running game going. They got, they got the running game going at the end of last year a little bit. You know, with Singletary yeah. in those playoff games and down the stretch, so I feel like they have to do that, but they have to do it in a way that it doesn't really involve Josh Allen. You know, I'm I'm okay with an occasional scramble, an occasional, right? Like what he did for the touchdown, he ran around outside and went up. Like I'm fine with that. And occasion, and occasion, occasionally a designed run, mm-hmm. but I really would like him to not take as many hits as we're only four games in the year, you know, only a quarter in the year, yeah. So. And he's the team's leading rusher. He's the team leading rusher by a bit. Yeah. Three out, four, <laughs> three out of the four games he's been the leading rusher. And the only game he wasn't was the Titans game where he ran once. Yeah. And I think James Cook might have been the leading rusher. And he rusher. didn't play for the fourth quarter. Yeah, and James yeah. Cook might have been the leading rusher because he had like that 40-yard run. Against their backups, though. They pulled every starter, yeah. you know? So quickly, that's, we've, you know, going a little long, but, you know, two games to discuss. Obviously, quarter mark. Let's quickly talk about some quarter of the year awards for us. Obviously, I think... All of us had the same. I honestly, I, I think we're going to be mostly unanimous in a lot of this. But MVP, Josh. Yeah, Josh Allen. Josh. Josh has. He's a, leading the league in passing and touchdowns, right now. Does he have passing yards? No, Herbert passed him. Herbert passed him. Oh. He only had two fourteen. I see. And Diggs is two in receiving. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Allen's I think top five in passing touchdowns. I think he has ten. The leader has eleven. He's still the only. He's the only player in the NFL that's hundred percent for all the offensive touchdowns. Offensive touchdowns. Because it was yeah. No, and then obviously he has 83%, I believe, of their total offensive production, which is just an insane number that mm-hmm. cannot continue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that he's the MVP. I think defensive player of the year is also pretty clear. Joe, do you? Who, no, I, I want to hear who you, who's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear it's Jordan Porter. Three games, four picks. Yeah. I think it's all pro po. I think he can make a case maybe. <laughs> I mean, Groot has four sacks, but I think Von Miller's been their best edge. I did issue an apology tweet to Rachel Bush for calling her out all those times, though. No, nah, she still deserved to get called out. Just but cause, just cause, at the time, yes, cause, just, but he does deserve just, the money. Just because her man is playing well doesn't mean... But doesn't, he deserves the money, I think. No, he does. I don't think anyone disagreed with that. No, that's why I said 
okay, he deserves to be paid. I didn't apologize for what I said necessarily, but I was just like, okay, he deserves to be paid. Offensive. Mike, what are you thinking? No, that's you fair. You in agreement? Yeah, maybe a short-term deal. Short-term He's deal. older, so yeah, I mean, I don't it, it can't be anything like Fitzpatrick. It's, it, it's hard for a defensive player of the year right now because Milano's playing at a high level. Groot has four sacks in four games. Von Miller has played very well. Yeah. Boogie Basham, I believe, is actually one of the higher graded according to PFF. Yeah, because that Boogie's interception. Interception, man. Yeah. I, think, I think Boogie actually is the number one edge defender according to PFF. Really? He's like a 90.0 grade. Wow, him. look at that. Boogie Basham, 55 wearing Jerry Hughes old number, still confuses me to this day. Not used the to inner it. Jerry is coming out of him. Looks weird. Yeah. Not gonna lie. Uh, let's talk about the rookies. I guess offense. Like I, I think we could just skip because I don't. Think, <laughs> I mean, yes. Are we gonna be real? Hopefully, maybe James Cook. Like hopefully. Shakir, Shakir, maybe if he steps be, up. Hopefully, it's yeah. Shakir. I mean, James Cook's been. He's got to work some stuff out. Defense, I, mean, I would say Elam. Elam. Benford's a Shut close down. second. Benford's a close second. Unfortunately, he mm-hmm. broke his hand though. So I mean, that's the problem with that. They're kind of the only two rookies that have been playing defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I think that's the minor frustration I think a lot of fans are having is that this draft class has not fully produced um like st- stars in the short term. Like Terrell Bernard, the third round pick, hasn't really touched the field. You saw Terrell Dobson. Yeah. He was the one that was getting uh like the, the third linebacker looks in the base defense when they took Taron Johnson off the field. Not Bernard. James Cook played two offensive snaps. Yeah. On Sunday. Yeah, and they still put Zach Moss in to get stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, Zach Moss only played eight snaps. Yeah, because I think they understand. No, like, but Devin Singletary played 80% of snaps. That, as he should. He's the most productive no, I, running I, back. I agree. I'm not mean, but from that, that point, it's frustrating. It just, it's just been a little bit lackluster, I would say, the draft class has been so far. But obviously, we're only four weeks in. I think those two offensive players are going to get a bigger role. Hopefully Bernard can do something. Obviously Spectre playing on special teams, being active, is a cool sign for a seventh round pick. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess if we want to do quickly one more thing of special teams player. Yeah, uh, sure. Sam Martin. I think it's gotta be Sam Martin, man. No, he, he had he had some pun- good punts. He had two punts that were muffed by opponents. One that was recovered. He's I, got a weird backspin on it. That's why. Have you ever? Did you you, you see how it goes through the air? Mm-hmm. And he he made the big. Honestly, he made a really underrated play. That, in the fourth quarter, punting that ball in the coffin corner to the four yard line because mm-hmm. they went from like the, their own five to the Bills one. Yeah, like if they, they were, at that yes. point was at, at that point was at like the nine yard line, they score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Touchback, it's a touchdown. Yeah, so like, no, he's definitely he's doing his job. Yeah, he's stepped in and he's doing he's doing pretty good. Uh, also, shout out to Tyler Bass for his first crew game winning or game even game leading field goal within two minutes. Like, yeah, yeah, game winning, that. yeah. He he would he would if he. Yeah, he can't be my player of the year right now. So it's just because he missed that thirty-yard field goal in Miami, where we probably we would have been on top if he yeah if he that, had made I that. I don't really know what happened there, but you know, Jameson Carter was solid punt returning. Oh, and, we didn't even mention the butt punt. Yeah, <laughs> the butt punt that doesn't count. It actually counts as a negative one-yard punt. Yeah, that counts as a black punt. There's a stack correction on that. So. Is there actually? So obviously the Bills are three one, and it was actually a very successful week for the Bills because the Dolphins lost to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and the Bills beat Baltimore. And if the Dolphins and Bills say the Bills beat the Dolphins, but they somehow tie in record, one of the things that's a tie, one of the tiebreakers is, is the Bills beat Cincy is common opponents. Mm-hmm. So the Bills and Dolphins both play Baltimore. Bills got to win. Dolphins got to win. Bills and Dolphins both play Cincinnati. 
Bills haven't played them, and Miami had took a loss. So that 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 could be important down the road. Play them in two weeks, right, or the week after this one. Who Cincinnati? Yeah, that's no, we week played, seventeen. We oh, two weeks, oh, Kansas guys. City. Sorry, I'm all I'm all we messed played, up. We, yeah, we played them like at the end of the year in Monday football. Yeah, the last Monday foot my football broadcast month. Yeah. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Sorry, I got the Chiefs mixed up, but uh, I think that's gonna do it for our first Bills topic for in a little while. So we'll be right back with some Sabers right after this. This edition of the Buffalonian Podcast is brought to you by the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built with and for entrepreneurs, featuring shows such as Sports Bring People Together. Listen to entrepreneurial conversations with those in sports, could be players, agents, and so on. And who knows where the conversation will take you, but sports got us together in the first place. Find this show wherever you listen to podcasts or simply visit sportseplus.com. And now let's get back to the show. We are back with the Buffalonian podcast. We're moving into our Sabres topic. The Sabres are nearing the end of the preseason, and the season's going to kick off October 13th, you said, Don? Yes, uh, week from uh, week from this Thursday. Week from this Thursday. Wow. Off-season flew by pretty quick. I remember we were talking about... I don't know, I don't know if... It, I don't know about quicker that. Quicker than the Bills. I mean, it is, but I mean, it, it's it feels... Short, it is a shorter time. Yeah, it feels way quicker than the Bills, but um, is there anything like... They, they play tonight. They play their... Um, they play Carolina. Carolina's four zero in the preseason. The Sabers are three and one. So, you know, it's a it's a heavyweight battle. Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. They've but, looked pretty good in the, so far. I, I'm not I'm not complaining about anything really. This is kind of their big dress rehearsal, I would say. Yeah. Uh, obviously, they sent down a lot of people to Rochester to play in to do the Rochester training camp that started a couple days ago. Obviously, they loaned Matt Savoy back to the WHL. He looked pretty mm-hmm. good. And I believe he is six and zero. If you count the prospect and a saber sweater, yep, only losses without him. So <laughs> wearing a saber sweater right now, no big Jeff, mm-hmm. Jeff Skinner playing that top line. But I think it's really important for the Sabers to continue building what they have. And like, I don't think the preseason matters a lot to me personally because no. it's kind of yeah. whatever. But if you're building a culture, you want to win, and winning the preseason is important uh, to building a culture to some people. And I think Granado and Adams believe that they gave their young guys a lot of opportunities to play. And, you know, some of them struggled, but I think it was cool to see moments of, for Yuri Kulich, Isaac Rosen, you know, those Tyson Kozak, Matt Savoy, like I can go on and on. Like they had a lot of guys that were very young playing in these preseason games, getting, not NHL, but like playing against grown men. Yeah, and no, they're they're playing against a few uh, regular NHL players. That's like, true. No, they, they, they were. I'm, yeah, but like even even though it's a preseason, like they're still like the best of the best in the world. Like it's still gonna make a difference for them. It's still gonna give them confidence. Like you got to think, Matt Savoy, he's gonna have confidence rolling into juniors this year, being like, you know, I feel like I had a really strong training camp preseason in the NHL. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna roll in and be like, I know I can play at that level. Yeah, and, so, you, and you see Coolidge being the 20th overall pick and now playing in the AHL. 27th, yeah. 27th? 27th. 28th. Either way. He was 20th. Either oh. way. But no, but my, my the point is, like, late first round pick coming up. Isaac Rosine finally maybe getting some ice time. Uh, Alexander uh, Kisikoff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, him playing in Rochester. Rochester's kind of loaded. I didn't really think... You know, I, th- I think at the end of the last season with the Amherst with the rundown, yeah. we all kind of like, well... Jack Quinn and J.J. Paterka probably won't be in Rochester. Did we have them on the rundown? Mm-hmm. 
It seems like a while ago. Is that who you yeah. used to have before yeah. the Blue Jays and the Bisons? Yep. Amherst yeah. Amherst yeah, might be returning soon. With the yeah, because the Blue Jays and Bisons are... Well, the Bisons are done. Yeah. And, then today, and the Blue Jays could potentially be done very soon. So, uh, yeah, I, I we all kind of thought that the Amherst were going to have... I mean, not as talented, but they might not have the top it guys they did last year, but they're definitely going to... A lot of young guys. A lot of young guys, a lot of talented group. They also added the Rochester defense score. They actually have an actual AHL defense score. So uh, I know this is a Sabres topic, but you know it's exciting for those young guys to develop uh, together. And obviously today, with the final dress rehearsal, kind you know for to figure out who your lines are, who who are going to be your guys. You know, there's a couple more cuts that need to be made. Will and, our predictions come to fruition? You think? Well, I think it's going to be interesting right now because they they waived Malcolm Subban. So they have, what, Comrie, Anderson, UPL. I think UPL is going to be one of those guys that's going to go up and f- up and down a mm-hmm. little bit, I think. Yeah. They're going to try and give him some time in Buffalo, but most of his time will probably be in Rochester. I think they're more concerned with UPL about just getting him games yeah. rather than where he plays. They just want him to play. Yeah. So wherever the opportunity bestows itself, that's where he's going to be. And then you look at it for you know the Sabres right now. They have... Well, you have twenty one skaters, right? Twenty one. You have twenty one skaters into normally on your roster. There's a twi- mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, see a couple other twenty three overall well, 20, scratches, 20, right? Twenty three overall. They could potentially keep UPL up and have twenty skaters and yeah. goalies. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they want to get UPL time down there of Subban. They're not going to. Yeah, he's not just going to sit in the press box. Yeah, I, I think they. I, I don't think that. If any goalie sitting in the press box, it's probably going to be Craig Anderson. Yeah, and I don't. I, I think they're going to start with Comrie and Anderson. So if you think of the after perspective, they have twenty one skater spots, mm-hmm. and it's going to be interesting how you know they DV up those spots in the fact of the eight D men that are still kind of available, to, in my opinion, to be on the roster. Samuelson Dalian's a lock. Mm-hmm. Power Yokiaru's a lock. Yep. Bryson Labuskin's a lock. So now the eight spots are really going to come down to. I know they have a couple other AHL defensemen, I believe, still up, but. Really, that seventh spot's going to come down to Lawrence Pilot and Casey Fitzgerald. And then also, I guess you could t- have a conversation of, do they keep both of them? I don't think that would be wise. I think they're going to keep one one of them. So they're going to have seven defensemen, probably. Who would you rather see down there, though? Like, Pilot or... I would say I would want to see... I'd rather have Fitzgerald be the seventh defenseman. No, I'd rather have Pilot be the defenseman. I think, I'm thinking I think... Pilot. I think we, we signed him. I feel like you have to see how he goes, you know? Pilot is, I think, better than Fitzgerald. I also think Pilot. I also think for Fitzgerald's development, is it best for him to be in a press box or be the number one defenseman in Rochester? That I think that I has agree. to matter. But I also think Pilot's like kind of good enough to potentially push Bryson out of a spot if Bryson struggles. Like I think he could get consistent playing time. So. Uh, and he looks he's looked very good so far in the preseason and training camp. So I think Pilot would probably would be my seventh. And then obviously they have fifteen Fords, I believe, currently up. Obviously Skinner, Thompson, Olafson, who was the it was we'll talk about their lines, but that's their top line for tonight. Mm-hmm. Quinn, Middlestat, Tuck. And you got Krebs, Cousins, Paterka, Gergensen's Aspen Oposo, and then Hinestroza, Sheehan, and Bjork. So you have to think, I think they're going to do, what, seven defensemen, 14 forwards? Yeah. So if you have 14 forwards, that means you have two healthy scratches. And I would say a healthy scratch easily is Hinestroza. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have... Yeah. And then I think Bjork is going to get 
waived to Rochester, and then you're going to have Sheehan as a second uh, healthy scratch, and then you're going to have Paterka in there. But it's interesting because I think Paterka, Henestroza, Bjork, and Sheehan are like the four forwards competing for three forward spots. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you could also say they're competing for two forward spots if you want to keep Fitzgerald and have eight D-men. It's kind of interesting how you look at it. Yeah. Do you think they would keep Fitzgerald though and have eight? Or I don't think. Or, or, or I mean, again, or the UPL thing happens, and that's another two. That's two forward spots. Yeah, I th- they're at least keeping like that, like that many. I think, but mm-hmm. it's th- interesting how that's going to pan out, though, because it really could change change how their lineup works. You know. Well, Paterka's struggled a little bit in the preseason. He's looked good in transition, but he struggled kind of a little bit overall. Krabs has looked really bad in the preseason. Really? <laughs> yeah, he's looked. Terrible. And I've we've talked about it a lot that he's a premier passer, and he makes one of the two of those passes that yeah. like I don't think anyone on the roster can make. But overall, five on five, he turns the puck over, can't play defense. He's going to be an interesting guy if he somehow struggles that they send him down. Yeah. But a guy that's looked very well, good, has been Jack Quinn. Jack Quinn's looked very well, very aggressive. Obviously, you know, he probably have a little bit of um, defensive issues, but you know, he's looked very sharp. Powers look sharp. Yoki Haru has looked terrible, so that's not a great sign. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> obviously the Lebuskin seems like that was more for Bryce. That signing was more for Bryson than it was for Power, which I think is intriguing. Yeah, but no, like I guess you know we talked about a little bit about the young prospects playing. That's exciting. Talked a little bit about the last spots, what could happen. Obviously tonight against Carolina, but I mean, does anyone else have any thoughts on like how people have played? Like Mike, do you have any? I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I tried to watch one of the streams on their website. Yeah, the stream did not work. No, gosh. no, it was pretty uh, bad. It's kind of salty. <laughs> no, we but were, we were on Xbox one night. And I was, you know, pulling one up, and that was that. Like it wasn't anything. Yeah, I've been trying. I've been just kind of looking. Tonight it's on MSG though, so that is true. I can watch it on television, T- cable, man. Yeah, cable TV. But I've been trying to like understand you know, what other people have been trying to like who've been able to watch the game, kind of their thoughts. Kind of yeah. reminded me of the first stream of Thursday Night Football on Prime. It was pretty bad. Yeah. It, was, it was not working. U- UPL has played very well. I think that is a very good sign mm-hmm. um, for his development. He's not made a glass. Hopefully. Yeah. So I want to get a quick thought on the lines today because if we think, if we're just gonna say at face value that this is gonna be the, the squad. Yeah, I okay. So I'll I'll just jump in here. I think the one that stands out most to me is Middlestat as second line center. Like, yeah, I can respect the decision putting him with Quinn, who's a goal scorer, and then having kind of Tuck be that two way guy, kind of mm-hmm. covering for both of them, and kind of being like the veteran presence. Did any of us have Middlestat in our predictions second I line? I don't even think I had Middlestat in my lineup. You didn't have him in the lineup. So. <laughs> that was. <laughs> <laughs> Where did. did we have him? I I, I know third you and line. I, definitely third line. I think I'd cut. Might have been like fourth line, but I almost remember fourth line. But the I thing don't know. that is interesting for me is really three thoughts in the forwards. One is that they're going a full on defensive line of Asplid, Gergensen's, Oposo, which I think is interesting. So they're going to have one like fully de- instead of splitting those three guys up. To maybe cover for your defensive liabilities, like Krebs, mm-hmm. Middlestat, Quinn, potentially Paterka, they're just going to have one line. So that line's probably going to take like a bunch of the defensive zone starts, which is well, see what your de- you know your defensive line does against it, the- and they're probably going to play against heavy competition. My second thing point would be that they've taken they're going to do the Skinner Thompson Olsen line. 
Yeah. They experimented a little thing in the last season. I, I, I think that makes sense because thinking about, like, if you have Skinner Thompson Tuck, you know that's going to be a successful line. But if you, Yeah. The thing is, like, yeah. you if you have, have a line of Quinn, Middlestat, and Olofsson, they're kind of all... I don't think any of them can really play defense that much. Mm-hmm. So that would just be no, you really need the tank relying. of Alex Tuck to help. Yeah, like even, I get, I get the, the decision to bit. break Tuck under the second line. Yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about last season, though. When we went to those games, the first three top three lines would be great. Like they had depth. Then you get into the bottom, and you're like, whoa! Like it was just no, completely it different. It was really the top line. I think it's interesting that line was very high event hockey. And what I mean by that is they were very explosive offensively, but they did have a couple shifts every game that they would get caved in and give up really good high scoring chances defensively. So that's mm-hmm. gonna be. A, I mean, if you want to, if you would want to tune in for anything that when that line's on the ice, you know, so some things need to go down. Yeah. Um, and so I would say. Obviously, the big takeaway from that having that line is that you put Tuck away from Thompson. Mm-hmm. But I like that they paired him with Millstack, give him a defensive, you know, defensive liable yeah. winger. It also shows that they need another Tuck. But we'll talk about that in a couple <laughs> seconds. I think my third takeaway is that they are putting a tremendous amount of pressure on Dylan Cousins right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think overall he needs to have a breakout season. He needs to yeah. show that he could be a top six forward because I think. From year one to year two, there's definitely a jump. Like, he definitely improved. I think year two to year three, we're expecting him to make this massive jump. And I don't think necessarily we had to see him score, like, 60 points or something. Like, that would no. that'd be great. But I think we just need to see him overall be a two-way player because I think that's kind of what we want him to be. We want him to be a solid defensive forward who can control, being a center, control the, the ice. Yeah. He'll make these plays. And, you know, he's probably going to be, in the long run, you would think paired with a Quinn or um, at some point, like, a Coolidge or Savoy. So having guys that are more offensive-minded, he needs to be that guy who's kind of more defensive. He can have a two-way game, control the ice more, and just kind of let Quinn score. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's... I, I know I like to use the term do or die, but I think I said that about Middlestad. I, I, do, I do 100% disagree if you're going to say this is a do or die. You're no, I'm not going to say this is a do or die. But no, I, I I was thinking back to where I put Middlestad. But no, I, I think it is time for him to you know take that step. And I think they're putting pressure on him for a reason. He's I, I think he's got to to really you know solidify his spot. But it's not like he's going anywhere. I mean, he's Dylan Cousins. No. He's gonna he's gonna develop at some point. But they need him to become a top six yeah. center. Yeah, they like they need, they need him. They just need him for depth purposes and to be able to step. You know, be a tank. Like, yeah. That's really it. They're you know? putting a lot of pressure on him dealing with Krebs, who's not a great five on five player, and they're pairing him with rookie. So they're putting him with a lot of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because they trust him though. In the end, I, I, listen, you know? I think it's trust. I think it's his growth defensively throughout the last year. I think all three of those guys are fantastic transition players. Mm-hmm. So they should really thrive in transition, which could help them exit their zone and get into the zone for offense. I just get worried that they're going to get caved in a couple times and not be able to exit. And that's when yeah. that's when those defensive, you know, they're going to those warts, defensive warts are going to come up. So I'm a little concerned about that line. And then the pairings, you know, your boy Samuelson being top pair. How's, yeah. How does it make yeah. you feel? Yeah, I'm just, I, you know, I kind of just bask in it because I remember the first <laughs> development camp. All I don't this, think I've heard that in a long time, bask in it. All the Samuelson slander. Right. And I was like, no, he's going to be good. Like, I, mean, I guarantee it. He'll be an effective player. And I feel who, like you who, here, who here was like, oh, no, he's not that good. I was. Yeah. 
And I own it. I own my cold takes. Joe, on the other hand, what what's a cold take I haven't owned? Name one. Lamar Jackson. We beat him. Okay. We took away his run game. He is an he... MVP candidate, though. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Not in my eyes. We'll see how the season progresses. They'll be... Okay, we're we're not talking about football. Yeah, we're on hockey. They'll here. have a losing record by the end of the season. Oh, but... uh, okay. Anyway. That's but, a take. Um, I'll, I'll own that. I'll own that if 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 that happens. Okay. I think I think the thing that stands out to me is that Labushkin is playing with Bryson instead of Power because I thought more signing Labushkin was going to be huge and be the defensive guy and would cover for Power, kind of let Power move up. I think you and I talked about that when it was just you and I here. We were yeah, kind of let Power play his game. You know, push up into the the offensive zone and then Labushkin, if he gets caught, can kind of cover for him and then. You know, be like, hey, kid, like, you know, this is what we're going to, you know, help develop him. So having Yoki Haru with him, I guess he's more of a two-way defenseman. Like, you know what he is? He's a no-way defenseman. You know, like, he's not, he hasn't been, he hasn't been all that great. I know. It's cold. I know past few years, I'm always like, you know, he's still young. He's still developing. Gotta give him a shot. But like. Past you can't only say that for so Past long. Few years, you said that like a couple months ago. I, I know, I know, but I'm I'm thinking this is a a really telltale year for Yoki Haru. Should, should we should we and, tell, use Joe's line saying it's a make or break year for him? No, it's do or die. Do or die. Sorry, you're right. I mean, I think he really has to show that he can. <laughs> we said that about Middlestat. He's second line center. All right, just because he started off hot, we'll see. You gotta show me, man. It's, we got, we got, when the games count, come find me. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I just. Yoki Haru has been brutal. I just, I don't know. I'm I'm worried about that for Powers film. I think him and Cousins, I'm just concerned about. They have a lot of burden to carry it. And I I worry that that's going to hurt the development. But we'll see. It might, it might turn out to be a great thing. And uh, one, two quick notes I want to talk about that doesn't involve the game being played. Uh, one is, I don't believe we talked about this. I wasn't here for the last pod, but GMKA got his contract extended. It's that. it's really encouraging to me because we finally it seems like finally settled in on a general manager that we trust. Yeah, he's running through the streets of Buffalo with the with with the people. Yeah, so. they're not gonna fire in the next month though. No, Jason Battle, this is our guy. Next month. Come oh on. my gosh, absolutely! If they do that, I will never watch a Sabres game again. Oh man, in my you entire like me there. No, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. You have the guy. You have Granada. You have Adams. You have the squad that's gonna get this team into the postseason and a, turn him a new contender. If you screw this up somehow as an organization, you don't deserve to be an organization. That's just all I have to I, say. You know what? Sometimes you're a little over the top, Joe. I 100% agree with you on this. <laughs> I think they finally, they've finally they been searching for a while for a solid GM ever since Darcy, the downfall of Darcy. And they found one. He's building the team the right way. And I'm excited to see he has a lot of picks, a lot of assets. I'm excited to see how he builds his team. So talking about the GMK extension kind of doesn't go hand in hand, but Jason Robertson, the 40-goal scorer last year for Dallas, and none of you guys don't know really about Dallas. Dallas is a very defensive-minded team, very low-event hockey, really focused on trying to control the neutral zone, kind of like the neutral zone trap yeah. of not allowing, not allowing quality against you but not really producing quality. Very old team as well uh, with Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan kind of past their primes. So not a lot of forward talent. For him to put up 40 goals in that area is really impressive. He's easily a top 15, probably even a top 10 winger in the league. Mm-hmm. He's a restricted free agent right now. He does not have a contract. So he's currently not even playing with uh, Dallas right now because he, he's 
I mean, technically, he's an RFA, but he doesn't have a contract. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see what they had to pay him because their owner came out during the offseason and said, yeah, we're probably not going to pay him what he's worth, which is a little ridiculous. But you see all these other you know GMs make commitments to Tage Thompson, Robert Thomas, you know guys that are getting $8 million a year now in their next extensions. Like, Jason Robinson looked then like, I should be getting at least nine, nine and a half. See, like, when I heard that rumor, the, the initial thought was like, yo, that's, like, amazing. Like, <laughs> that would be great to have a guy who's 23 years old. Young Q, yep. Yeah, put up 40 goals, 70 points. Like, yeah. He's going to be elite. That was a nice catch. The phone almost yeah, hit the ground right there. That was quick. I... <laughs> Sorry, continue. But I wasn't even looking. I just, anyway. So, but once you, like, start thinking about it, it's like, well, what would we had to give up? Probably some first-round picks and some of our high-end prospects and – we're going to have to pay Jason Robertson 9 to $10 million. So the trade-off is you get Jason Robertson on this team. Yeah, he'll be an instant impact player. But down the road, his salary will affect how you can pay a Darlene, uh, an Owen Power, like a Jack Quinn, all these guys. I would rather have the prospects that we have and develop in-house and be able to sign them to extensions than... Bring in Robertson. I don't I want faith, to touch, I have faith that Jack Quinn can be a 40-goal scorer. I'm not touching Robinson with the 10-foot pole. I mean, I why. wouldn't say that. No, no. It's not because of him. Robertson. I'll, 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 let, you Robertson. I'll let you finish. It, it's not because of... It's not, it's not because of any performance <laughs> issues. It's just... I like the way they're building the team with the prospects we have. and I'm. I, they've preached it for years. We're going to get these prospects... We're going to build the team up from nothing, you know, and Kevin Adams and Don Granato, like I said, been doing a good job. We have the number one ranked prospect group in the NHL. Don't give it away for a 40 goal score one season, in my opinion. But he's been consistent. Listen, just listen. Let me, let me, let me finish here. We have prospects who could turn into that. What word did you just use there? Could. Thank you. I'd rather take the chance. I'm a gambling man. I'd rather take the chance. This is my point about the whole situation. I think we talked. This is a little bit similar to Alex Dabrinkit, but I think Roberts is actually better than Dabrinkit. I think he has a more interesting appeal to me because of, you know, Dabrinkit played with Patrick Kane, very high event. Oh, my God. The the high event system in Chicago. I think what Robertson did in the low event system in Dallas is more impressive. I think. The reason why I would be intrigued and I'd probably be willing to take the gamble is what Joe just said was important. You're banking on those prospects that could be Jason Robinson. Jason Robinson is that guy. He is that 40-goal scorer. He is 23 years of age. He's entering his prime. He fits the age group that is going to be the team. You know, He fits that age group. He's in that core age uh, that you want to have. Darlene. You know, I believe the same age. I think Dolly might be 22, but he's in that age group of being 23. And Who would you give up for him, though? So this is what you'd probably have to give up. It's interesting because I don't really think this is going to happen because Dallas is kind of a team that has a lot of veterans and might want to make a playoff push. I don't know if they would be willing to give up futures, but you'd probably have to be willing to give up. Um, probably have to protect your 23 first-round pick. You probably have to trade a roster player. And I mean by a roster player is you probably have to trade... Um, trying to think of an example, like Casey Middlestad or Henry Yukihari or Matias Samuelson. You probably have to trade one of those three guys. Then you probably have to trade two of, uh, two of your 
better prospects. And what I mean by better is if you look at 2019, the, the 2022 draft, all those first round picks, you probably had to pick two of those guys out and part with them. Or like mm-hmm. if you want to go deeper in Levi. And then if you want to go deeper than that, maybe you try and see what they think about Eric Patillo. Obviously, I don't think that'll work out because they have a young goaltender in Odger. Maybe they would be interested in a young defenseman like Ryan Johnson. So that's probably what you have to part of. So like an example of a trade in my head would be Metal Stat, 23 protected first round pick, J.J. Paterka, Payne Krebs. I feel like you'd have to give up more. You had to get more than that. I feel like that's. Too, I feel like I, you'd have to throw in. I don't think maybe like a Rosen or Oslin or something. I feel like that that would have to be part listen, of it. I understand. And I, I, I feel would, like they'd want a better roster player than Casey Middlestad. I feel like they'd want like an Olafson or. Okay. I, oh, Olsen. Uh, fine. I'll, I'll well, I understand Olsen. the draw for him. Wait, no, no, wait, 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 I don't. Wait, wait. I, I don't agree that we should give away that much. I would automatically do that. I would automatically trade Olafson. Olafson's what? A 20- oh, I'm not saying I wouldn't trade Olsen. No, 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 I said we should trade Olsen at the deadline last year. But this is year. my point on all the pieces. Olsen is a 20-goal scorer that is a one-way player. Mm-hmm. That 23 protected first round pick, if you want to make it lottery protected, fine, whatever. You won't lose that pick. You'll probably make that really a 24 first round pick. That's okay. Fine by me. A guy like Paterka, is there going to be a spot in a couple of years of Coolidge coming up? Like you got, the, I think what's happening is people look at this prospect pool and they don't realize that there's not going to be spots for all of them. Yeah. What well, two things are going to be true. One, they're not all going to hit. Mm-mm. Like they are, they aren't all going to be stars. Like we've seen a little bit of Krebs. We saw it with Milstat. Like yeah, Doki Hari. Like not all these dudes are going to hit, and there's not going to be spots enough for all of them. So I would totally be willing to trade two of them, a protected first round pick. An all right roster player to get a superstar who would automatically become the best player on your team. Mm-hmm. And we talk about this at fruition that they need to find another Alex Tuck. They need to find Alex Tuck. Jason Robinson is Alex Tuck on steroids. <laughs> like, think of having a top line of Skinner, Thompson, Robertson. Yeah. Then you have Tuck with, you know, who you have. And then you figure out your lines after that. But I, I think I would be really intrigued by it. No, well, it's definitely something to consider. Like, I'm not like like Joe, where I'm like ten foot pole, I'm not touching <laughs> it here. Like, it's something to to be intrigued. I just, I just kind of want to see how, you know, Kevin Adams and Don Granado can develop this team. I'm kind of more curious about that. I kind of like the potential of our prospects. If we're gonna be honest, we're probably a year away from making this move. I think we talked about this in the off season to bring it. We're probably a year away from actually making this legit kind of move. Well, that's kind of where my head was at because it's like we're not in win now mode or anything like that to make a move but like that. Just because they're not win now mode doesn't mean you can't trade some of your futures to get better. And it's not like you're trading. What if he fla- What if he completely but- plateaus this year though, and that's it? All right, you could say that of a bunch of people. What if Jeskiner falls back off to being a twenty point player? Right. But- that's my point. What my point? My point is being is that I think Jason Robinson is a certified superstar. And so, what would you be willing to go to be? A, what would you be willing to give up a certified superstar that you could potentially have on a long-term contract throughout their entire prime? And you guys think it's weird because he's an RFA, mm-hmm. and Dallas hasn't paid him yet. Can they even pay him? I, I don't think they have cap space. I think because Jamie Ben's north of nine. That's my Sagan's thing. Like nine. their team actually is like in trouble. 
And I believe the deadline to sign him is like in sometime in December. I know Willie Nylander missed I think time it's when he was December first, something like that. And then he becomes unrestricted. I'm pretty sure next year he'll be on UFA. Yeah. No, I think if they don't sign him, he becomes unrestricted. I I don't think he can play. I don't think he's eligible for the year. But I think the following year he's I think, UFA. I, I think there's something, but I think that's the my point is this: if they don't sign him soon, like if they don't sign him before the season, I think it gets interesting. No, I definitely say. Acquiring his RFA rights and signing him that will be more effective than if he hits the UFA market because then you're going to have to truly overpay for him. Well, also, it's important, too, he's an RFA. Yeah. Like, RFA forwards usually go... Like, this dude doesn't have a contract. Like, we saw it to bring... Okay, but here, I'll, I'll, I just want to add to this quick. Would you... You would... Quick, would you rather trade for him or put an offer sheet? Trade. I don't want to trade for first round picks. Okay. We, what we, we, I mean, I think that'd be kind of I yeah. Kind no, of, I, no, I'm I'm just curious. No, I'd rather trade no, that's personnel good now than trade I would away picks. Rather trade like. I would rather trade like three first round picks of like a first equivalent. round pick equivalent of three first round picks and maybe some change to that rather than trade four first round picks that I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, because then you still kind of would have to eventually trade some. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thing. Well, Darcy didn't want to do that. No, Darcy wouldn't want to do that. Darcy's silly. My thing is this. He instantly becomes the best player in your team. And that, listen, there's certain prospects that I would be like, okay, out. Like, I'm not trading Darlene for him. I probably would say no to Cousins because I need because I need him for the center reason. I wouldn't trade Savoy. I wouldn't trade Power. And honestly, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but, like, Samuelson would be out for me. Like, I, I if they would... If they were asking for a roster player and they said we want Samuelson, I'd be like, ah, eh, you gotta pick someone else. Because mm-hmm. like that—that's actually a top four defenseman, and I don't really want a part of him. But those would be like the couple of the guys. Like Jack Quinn, I think would be available because you're looking at Jack Quinn as a guy that could become Jason Robertson. I—I I think that's the key. Is that Jason Robinson is that? So. Well, that's kind of where my head was at, saying I wouldn't because I'd rather see Jack Quinn develop into that than rush now. I don't think and- Jack Quinn and Jason Robertson are the same player. I think Jason Robertson's more of a rounded player than Jack Quinn. Jo- Jason Robinson's probably Jack Quinn's gonna be a sniper. Mm-hmm. J- Jason Robinson's a sniper with like a full rounded game. Exactly. I don't think Jack Quinn's gonna be. But that's what more two way. But that's what I'm saying. I think Robertson is more two way. But that's what I'm saying. No, I no, I know what you're saying. No, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's more like that tuck, like you said, tuck on steroids. Yes, tuck on steroids. But, I like that one. but yeah, no, interesting. I, I think it's an interesting point. I do think they're kind of a year away, but I just think. I say I keep saying to myself they're a year away from doing this, they're actually a year away from doing this. But the Dallas situation is so unique that now might be a time to do it. I honestly feel like this. I mean, there's potential that you get him for like seventy cents on the dollar. Like there's potential where you do the first, you trade middle stack. You got to think if they make this trade in November or something, Dallas is going to be probably a little bit more eager to get something back. So you might be able to get him for a better price. That's I'm, I, I, because they'd I, I rather agree. get something than nothing. It's nice to see that they were intrigued by that. Like the rumor was that they were intrigued by that because I think that that shows that they're they're willing to listen to what's being offered potentially and listen that they there's certain stuff where like if they're like this is our price and we're sticking to it, it'd be like all right, I'm, you know, there's certain stuff that you'd walk on the door, with. Mm-hmm. but maybe the ten foot pole was a little bit of an exaggeration on my end. But I mean, like I personally would just. I understand where the appeal is, like what you're saying and everything, but I mean, me personally, I'd rather stick with what the team's been doing and, you know, we'll bring see. these guys up, yeah. you know, and, and develop. It, it I'd matter, rather see it, that. You're a gambler. Do you want to gamble on all your pro- majority of your prospects hitting, or do you want to go for the certain thing? You know, it's it's, it's an it's an interesting conversation to have. Right, but then yeah, yeah. All right, well. 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, we're, we're, we're running long already on this episode. I don't want to take it any longer, but that's going to do it for our Sabres topic for this week. And we'll be right back with a rundown after this. This edition of the Buffalonian Podcast is brought to you by the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built with and for entrepreneurs, featuring shows such as Sports Bring People Together. Listen to entrepreneurial conversations with those in sports, could be players, agents, and so on. And who knows where the conversation will take you, but sports got us together in the first place. Find this show wherever you listen to podcasts or simply visit sportseplus.com. And now let's get back to the show. We are back with the Buffalonian podcast, and I'm taking you through the rundown this week. We're going to start it off with some Blue Jays talk, and the Jays are back in the postseason for the first time since 2020, the pandemic, pandemic year. And uh, the Jays currently sit at 91 and 69 and will end their season in Baltimore with a three-game road set. The Jays will host game one of a best-of-three wildcard series starting Friday, October 7th. The Jays have locked up the top AL wildcard spot, and the opponent will either be Seattle or Tampa Bay. Whichever one has the better record will go to Toronto and the other to Cleveland. The highlight of the game was the Blue Jays' sweep of the Red Sox over this last weekend. That ended this season's series with the Blue Jays finishing 16-3 versus the Red Sox and outscoring them 125-55. to the 16 wins are the most wins versus a single opponent in a season for the Jays. And the Jays' wildcard round will conclude this weekend, so we will know next pod if the Jays' season has ended or if they will continue to fight another day in the ALDS. So let's go, Blue Jays. And we're going to move it on to the Bisons. And this is unfortunately the last time we'll be having the Bisons mentioned in the rundown for this season at least. So the uh, it's a sad end to the Bison season, and they missed the playoffs and did not defend their division championship crown last year, finishing at 76 and 72. The Bison split their last series in Scranton two to two, and the Bison's did finish with a positive differential of three runs. Nathan Lukes was the team MVP, and Matt Gage was the bullpen arm of the year, and Casey Lawrence was pitcher of the year. Lawrence led the team in ERA and wins and. Thomas Hatch led in strikeouts and innings pitched, and Matt Gage led with saves with 12. Lukes was the leader in hits, homers, and Otto Lopez led the team in average. All in all, a solid season for the Herd, and we are excited to talk more Bisons baseball coming at you this April. But next week, we don't even know what we're going to have here. It's going to just be Jay's talk for the rundown. So we're, we're going to name the segment the Torontonian Jay's talk for, for next for next week in honor of Mike's nickname. So without further ado, that's going to end it for the rundown this week. And we'll be right back with some Would You Rather and trivia. This edition of the Buffalonian Podcast is brought to you by the Cast Source Podcast Network, a podcast network built with and for entrepreneurs, featuring shows such as Sports Bring People Together. Listen to entrepreneurial conversations with those in sports, could be players, agents, and so on. And who knows where the conversation will take you, but sports got us together in the first place. Find this show wherever you listen to podcasts, or simply visit sportseplus.com. And now, let's get back to the show. 
We are back here with the Buffalonian podcast for the Would You Rather Than Later On in the segment trivia. Uh, so this week I've taken the reins of the Would You Rather. So my Would You Rather for this week, a little bit Bills related, kind of, kind of you know comes back to what we were talking about in our Bills topic of. All right. Would you rather have an elite defensive line, but an average offensive line, or an elite offensive line, but an average defensive line? Defensive line. Yeah, defensive line. Because then you're not chasing points the entire game. Really? I feel like if you have an elite quarterback like Allen, that makes up for having a weaker offensive line. Exactly, because he can make if, plays on a dime yeah, like that. It makes it tougher on your defense if their quarterback has a bunch of time and they're just running all over you. But average, so it's like the 16th best defensive line. It's not like no, I'd rather still you still get pressure. Line. I'd rather still have an elite really? defensive line. Because look at, I mean, you're you're talking about the Bills. We have an average offensive line with an elite defensive line, and look at we're doing pretty good. Super Bowl favorites, juggernauts was, in the I was NFL. Thinking kind of like the Chiefs have an elite offensive line, but kind of an average D line other than Chris. I Jones. think of it this way: if you have an elite defensive line, you have an opportunity to keep points low on the other side, right? Like you putting pressure on the quarterback on the run game, you have a better opportunity to keep the points low and keep the yards low on the other side. With an offensive line and an average defensive line, you're going to have more points to go chase after. You know what I'm saying? True, but if you had an elite offensive line, you could be more balanced and run the ball, and your quarterback will be healthier at the end of the year. I'd still rather have and an it elite help you defense. In, and it could help you in the postseason, take the time off the clock for that, that that average defensive line doesn't have to be on the field. I think and the elite defensive line would be the, the way I would go still because it's looking like the Bills right now. I would also go with the elite defensive line, yeah. but I thought I think I think having an elite offensive line would be cool um, because we don't really have that in Buffalo, and it'd be cool to have a consistent run game. But I like where the Bills are at at the proper moment. The only thing I would say though is that you do need an elite, you do need a very good left tackle, and you need a very good center because I think those are the two most important positions. Or if you have a lefty quarterback, elite right tackle. Yeah. Blindside tackle. How Blind about that? Does, that, does that make you feel better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But, Dom, thank you for that. Would you rather? It was very insightful. Very good one for this week. Your return to it. We're going to kick yeah. it right to trivia with jump Mike. Jump right into We're it gonna here. We're going to jump right into it. No hesitation. Bill's question. So we know how we've struggled in one-score games the last two seasons. Uh, back in 2020, they were actually 5-1 and one in one-score games. Uh, who was that one loss to in 2020? Arizona. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was the, the Hail Murray. Murray. Yep, Helmer. I had to think of their losses. Like Tennessee, they got crushed. Yeah, no, I was thinking Tennessee popped in my mind right away, but 2020, they got obliterated. They got obliterated. They they only lost by, actually, they lost by nine points to Kansas City. They almost lost by one score there. I think that was a late field goal, and then they lost in the ASU Championship game by two touchdowns. So, Mm -hmm. yep. So, yep. Hell Flutie. Not Hell Flutie. Hell Murray. Hell Murray. Sorry. Big, big, big Doug Flutie. I'm a big Doug Flutie guy, so, you know, I see Hell. Is that the forefront of the mind? The what? Like the forefront of your mind in the beginning. Always. Anytime <laughs> I hear hell. Hell flutie. Alright, let's move on. <laughs> okay. I okay. I wish Sabres, we could only I wish we could explain what was going on in the room. Saber's question here. 2021-2022 season's over, obviously. Uh how many wins did they have at home? Oh. Out of forty one games, how many were wins? Twenty nine. That's way too high. <laughs> okay. Twenty three. No, Still too well, high. Come on. Uh, <laughs> 18. How many losses they had? How many losses they had? They had 18 losses. They had 18 so losses. So 42. No, wait, they had 18 losses. Do some math 23 now. games. 
Oh, you're saying only home games? Only home games. I'm going to say they won 15. Six, they went 15, 18, and 8. 17, 18, and 6. Darn. It's a record at home last year. We were close. We, so you, below 500. said 15, both I, of us. I, I think it's going to be a little different this year. Off. I think it'll be a little bit better. But uh, yeah, 17 wins. And then last question. Close to 500. Culture question. Oh, man. Uh, Niagara Falls obviously is a park. Mm-hmm. State park. Yes. Uh, do we know when that was created? When the state park was established? Mm-hmm. 1800s? Mm-hmm. 18... 1876. Mm, that's pretty close. 1882. It's closer. 1890. 1885. <laughs> Overshot at the end there. <laughs> if I didn't say 1876, what were you going to say? No, oh, I said 1800. I was okay, you said 1882. I then said 1890 after. Yeah, but, well, I said yeah. 1882 because you said that. If you didn't say that, I was going to say 1890. That's what I was saying. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I, I understand what you're saying now. Because you said that. I said 1882, but if you, you didn't, you I was going to say 1890. because of what I said. Yes. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It's If you didn't answer first, I would have just said 1890. Yeah, but you said 1800s. Yeah, because I knew it was in the 1800s. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, we're getting <laughs> off the rails here. That's going to do it for the Buffalonian podcast. I'm Joe Kelly, and I've been joined by Dom Lawson and Mike Marino for the first time in a couple weeks here. And uh, Dom, how do you always end these? Go Bills, baby. Go Bills. Go Bills.